We are encountering silence. Encountering silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. We here at Encountering Silence are so excited to offer something special to our listeners on this Earth Day, April 22nd, 2020. We have a return guest, Patrick Shen, who is the director of In Pursuit of Silence and so many other documentaries. We've had Patrick on a a number of times. He's a friend of the the show. We love his presence. Uh, He's a a constant collaborator with our co-host, Cassidy Hall, and so just to bring Patrick here today to make a special announcement about some of the work he's doing and to continue the conversation that we have about silence and art and creativity. So Patrick, welcome back to Encountering Silence. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. So what's the deal? I've been hearing little birdies talking about something exciting happening currently with the work you're doing and uh, and past work and future work. What do you have to announce for us today? Well, you know, the, the In Pursuit of Silence team and I have been chatting as of late and talking about ways that we can be involved, um, ways that we can respond to the COVID-19 crisis. And we have decided to offer In Pursuit of Silence uh, free to the world, um, free to stream on the Transcendental Media website. If you go to watch.pursuitofsilence.com, It'll take you to a screening page where you can view the pay, uh, view the film for free uh, for a limited time, and um, you know we just think that this is a unique time in which we've all been kind of thrown into a context um, that can be scary and intimidating and anxiety-inducing, and we hope that the film will offer at, at least some, if not answers, perhaps um, some context. Um, for what it is that we're experiencing and going through at the moment. Mm. That's that's amazing. I mean, just and so generous and wonderful. I I can't think of a better movie to kind of set the context <laughs> of what we're in this this place of being present and and how much of our lives has been silenced on some level and changed and shifted. Here's a moment to ponder about that. Absolutely. I I, I remember during a lot of the Q and A's that we did while screening in pursuit of silence. A lot of people would would often ask, you know, how come you didn't just make a completely silent film? And I would always respond by saying, listen, if it, it, there's a time and place for that, and there are many artists doing fantastic films of that nature. But if you would have put me in a silent or in a room back in 2011, 2012, when this was just a seed of a film, I wouldn't have known what to do with myself. Um, if you threw me in a room and told me to just to do silence, I wouldn't have known what to do with myself. Um, you know, I, I do think I have the kind of emotional, uh, kind of makeup to navigate that space somewhat confidently anyway, but I, I still think that I would have been confused about the experience and, and, and incredibly intimidated by it. And I think that's, you know, nearly half of the globe at the moment has been, has been thrown into a situation just like that, right? Where, um, a lot of the white noise of the world has kind of 
fallen away. Many of us are hearing our own voices for the first time, or certainly much louder than before. Um, and I think the film provides some helpful context. Um, we've always talked about the film as an invitation into silence. It's not a prescription of what to do in that space, but it provides some shape and context and personality to that experience. Um, and so, yeah, that's hopefully, hopefully the film can provide that for, for some people. Yeah, and another thing, another thing that we talked about as a team is just the, the ambiguity and the infinite aspects of silence uh, that we meet there. We also recognize that a lot of people are facing extreme loneliness, aloneness, uncertainty, mental health issues. And there's certainly, um, you know, uh, there are things necessary right now that people, that many of us need to heed, myself included, right? Medication, um, therapy, and, and things like this. And we also hope that perhaps this film can act as almost kind of a partner to walk into this moment of silence together and to accompany people in a new way and maybe point to you know, the, the good aspects of silence, the meeting place of ourselves, um, which again, can oftentimes be scary. And we're just really aware that um, there's a great ambiguity there. And there are, you know, there are toxic silences at this time that we're meeting in ourselves and in the world around us. And we're very aware of that. And um, we just kind of seek to offer this film as a, as a, as a walking partner at this time, as a walking partner in the silence. Mm. This morning on Facebook, I shared uh, a little meme or gif or whatever you want to call it. And it's a dialogue between the world and mother nature. And the world says, there's no way we can shut everything down in order to lower emissions, slow climate change and protect the environment. And mother nature responds, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and so it occurs to me that that you know the the pandemic is doing something that many of us have kind of wanted we didn't want a pandemic to get us there right but mm -hmm. that you know cities are reporting their air quality is better than it's been in a long long time and you've got dolphins swimming in Venice and you've got, you know, wolves roaming the streets of cities all over the place. And, you know, and so I'm curious how silence factors into that. How, how are we recovering silence during this time? Do you have any sense of that? Either, either of you? I do want to say that that brings up something really strongly for me, which is from the film when Maggie Ross kind of speaks to this. And what she says in the film is, if we could all learn the work of silence, we'd take an awful lot of pressure off our planet. And in my opinion, also ourselves and also our fellow human. And she goes on to say, in terms of ecology, because we wouldn't be addicted to consumption and we wouldn't be wasting what we waste. There wouldn't be this constant seeking, seeking, seeking for something else to fill up that empty space when what will fill up the empty space is actually going into the empty space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's every, everything is in that quote right there, isn't it? Um, COVID-19 has, has pushed the pause button on this the, the sort of constant looping narrative of I want this and I want that. It's caused us to reevaluate the things that matter to us. It has put us back in touch with 
uh, a more natural state, right? Natural rhythms. Um, and it's even allowed for this, this, um, this communication between, I think, mind and body even more. Like it's grounded us. I think it, there's, a, this is, there's a kind of bodily aspect to this, this experience that we're all going through. Not only is COVID-19 literally a threat to our bodies, right? But I think our experience day to day is more, is more grounded in the body, down to the constant hand washing, um, you know, evaluating the basic needs of our body, the food, the sleep, the rest. Um, and I think it's all related to this sort of empty space that Maggie's talking about. It, it, the, the, the sort of cultural identity and the personal identity kind of merge um, in a space like the one that Maggie's talking about. I think that's what's really beautiful about this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I love what you just said there, Patrick, because it feels like to me the, the mind-body thing is really a big deal. I, I keep coming back. I've been playing in my head. I'm teaching right now at university, and so I, I'm reading a bunch of academic texts. And, and what gets played in my head is partly one of the things I've been talking about is this idea from the philosopher uh, Charles Taylor, who is a Catholic Roman Catholic philosopher. And he talks about how our culture, it's exactly what you just said, our culture is, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah. He uses the word excarnation. That what we've done is we've run away from our bodies. It's not incarnation. We've excarnated and that our culture has moved us there. And so here you, and when you have excarnation, you have to, you feel like you've lost something. And so you're trying to fill that space. And so that quote from Maggie Ross, and then what you just said is here's this moment. If we come back to our bodies, if you really incarnate, if you're actually in your body, there's this moment of quiet that allows for us to notice. And as Cassidy said, it isn't necessarily going to be lovely in the beginning, you know, because there's a lot of voices we've ignored or run away from in our heads, or there's a lot of trauma, or, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be, I'm not trying to romanticize this. This is not necessarily easy work, but it's, it is work that is there for us, you know, and ignoring it doesn't make it go away. And so, Back to what Carl, Carl's point is like, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, here's a pause button. You have to, you have to approach it. So I really think the movie offers us, that's why I think it's so generous that you, the In Pursuit of Silence team is offering this as an invitation and, and to give the context to help maybe give some tools or something for people to start having that conversation. And I'm glad you said that, Kevin, about uh, trauma and remembering um, our interview with George Prochnik and how he talked about working with high schoolers and discussing silence and their experiences of silence were very negative. Some of the kids said things like, I remember when my father hit my mother, I didn't want to speak with anyone for a week. Another kid said, I remember when my brother was killed, my father stopped talking. And one by one, right, these kids were just sharing agonies and pains and silence. And um, there are a lot of people that are in situations where staying at home is not good. Mm -hmm. And we can't forget that, Mm -hmm. um, that staying at home is actually the scariest thing for them right now. And the silence of that is the scariest thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's really important to hold that up. Cassidy, I understand that Notes on Silence, there's going to be a special involving that as well, uh, the companion book to the movie. 
Yeah, the book that uh, Patrick and I wrote together, it's a combination of essays and transcripts from the film of people we interviewed, including um, that portion I just shared from George Prochnik was from his uh, transcript. And that is going to be on sale on Kindle for $2.99. So um, that's another, another way that people can maybe find some accompaniment during this time. Mm. And again, just for a limited time, right? Yes. So I think, I think another thing that um, during this time that we're all kind of looking for is just collective engagement to meet that loneliness and aloneness. And we, many of us are finding ourselves missing community and missing this sense of togetherness. And with that, I've just been really excited about what Patrick's working on right now. And Patrick, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about that, I would love to hear more. Yeah, so I, I think a lot, of, a lot of filmmakers, a lot of artists um, have been struggling with this, this time, right? And, and what to do with this, what to do with this crisis, how to respond in this crisis. Um, a lot of, um, a lot of projects that many of us were involved in, uh, came to a sudden halt. A lot of the production work came to a sudden halt. Um, and so that was, we were kind of left with this kind of blank slate, um, uh, which is both an exciting place to be and very terrifying sort of situation to be in. Um, but in thinking more about that and how how we could respond as filmmakers, um, I was talking with a friend, filmmaker friend of mine, Brandon, about some project ideas that we could possibly do that would be crowdsourced. Um, since we're limited to basically filming things within the confines of our own properties, um, we figured a crowdsourced kind of approach might be an interesting way to kind of respond to this crisis. We came up with a couple of projects. The one I think is especially relevant to the conversation we're having is a film called The Dawn Chorus. On May 3rd, uh, I think it's the first Sunday of, of every May each year, people gather um, to observe the Dawn Chorus. Um, this year, of course, it'll be quite different, and people will be observing the, the dawn again from the confines of their, their homes and wherever it is that they're quarantined from. And so we've spoken with filmmakers all over the world. We've both uh, opened it up to both amateur and professional filmmakers to capture footage of the dawn from wherever they are on May 3rd. And we're going to piece together a sort of lyrical medica meditation on the first light and the first sounds of the day on May 3rd. Um, and what we will hope will be, you know, 30, 45 minute um, film um, that gets us thinking collectively about natural rhythms again. It will get us thinking about um, the light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps at the end of this COVID-19 crisis. Um, and so that's, that's what we're, we're, we're hopefully launching this, this week sometime. So as a follow-up to that, I'm kind of curious, you said it's opened up to amateurs. Uh, are, is there going to be a way that people could offer that? Kevin's going to become a filmmaker now. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. I would love to see contributions from all you guys. That'd be, that'd be great. There, uh, if you go to transcendentalmedia.com and click on coming soon, they'll see a link at the top of that page for Don Chorus. Uh, on that page, they'll, they can read about the project, the background information, as well as how to get involved and all the sort of specifications that we're looking for. 
I mean, even if I don't film, I might just get up that day and know that there's a whole bunch of filmmakers around the world recording that. Totally. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a, a really um, I hope what I hope for the filmmakers is that it'll be this collective opportunity, right, to be still for two, two and a half hours. It'll be a nice way for all the filmmakers around the world who have been struggling with their response to this COVID-19 response to sit in stillness and observe this moment together um, and make a piece of art um, surrounding this moment. I think it'll be it'll be nice. So we're trying it. We'll see what happens. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. it's probably going to be amazing. <laughs> it feels amazing before we've even started. So far, we've recruited uh, the help of filmmakers in Armenia, Greece, uh, Tunisia, Indonesia, and a few places throughout the United States. And that list is growing by the day. And we haven't really even officially launched it. So hopefully we'll get a bunch of people involved and it'll be a really nice film in the end. Yeah, that's great. Patrick, how I'm visualizing this in my mind is everybody in kind of these places of pristine natural beauty but but especially since people are uh, confined to their homes i imagine we're going to have a lot of different ecosystems show up and um Absolutely. there might be some it's just in the concrete jungle or in suburbia or Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I imagine we'll get a whole variety of, of really interesting takes on what this Don Chorus experience is like for people. And we've, we've instructed people in this document um, that people will find at the website uh, that it could simply be a shot out of their bedroom window. Um, it could be a shot of the tree in their garden as the sun rises and moves its way through the branches. So it, we're open to uh, everyone's specific interpretation and experience of that dawn. I'm curious a little bit about the, just the impetus for this, right? Because this was obviously birthed, birthed from something in you. And was it like a yearning for creating something? Was it just a, a longing mm. um, for communal creation? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there, I think there's a few parts to it. One part is, you know, all the ongoing production has been halted, right? And so, um, all these other forms of expression of are on kind of on a sort of pause at the moment, and so I, I felt a need to a desire to fill that fill that gap somehow. Um, I think the other motivation behind this um, was the desire to um, document this moment in time, um, and not just from my perspective, but but the perspective of storytellers from all around the world. I think at the end of all this, those, um, those documents, those expressions of who we were during this time will be very important to refer back to down the road. Um, Cassie, you, you and I have talked a little bit about what's going to happen when, you know, the finger off the pause button is lifted. You know, what's going to happen when things start rolling again, when the economy is back in the full swing of things. Are we going to return to those unhealthy machine-like rhythms that we've grown accustomed to? Um, or are we going to grab, grab hold of some of these um, much healthier and centered rhythms that some of us are experiencing at the moment and be able to take that in with us back into the world as we reintegrate? Um, so I think this and other projects that many other film, filmmakers are doing of a similar nature um, I think will be important records for us to refer back to, to remember who we were, to remember these quieter moments um, and what it meant to us and how it felt and yeah, how much we valued it, I think, during that time. 
Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. I'm struck by the, just the, there's like a solemnness to it, but there's also like a really strong, just communal joy to doing a project like that together as artists. Yeah. It's just really, really beautiful. There's so much fun collaboration happening online right now, isn't there? Um, Like even the talk show hosts are getting in on the act, you know, doing these fun Zoom skits. And I don't know, it's just, it's really, it's inspiring. And And I've, I've kind of been stuck in this mode of, certainly for the last few years, this mode of doing things within my little bubble, within my shed here on my property. And I think this has inspired me kind of to remember that, um, that I need to, that my practice of silence is, is not an isolated scenario, but one in which that hopefully will bring me closer to the world, right? It's a, it's a practice in embracing the world in a deeper, more meaningful way. Um, and so I'm excited about this idea of collaborating. I have other projects that I'm hoping to share with other people in the coming days that are also collaborative in nature. And I don't know, I think there's just some, some, there's a beauty to that, that we're all coming from this sort of empty space, this quiet space and collectively gathering in these virtual spaces to make a piece of art. Uh, I don't know. There's something really interesting and, and um, poetic about it, I think. But I don't think I don't. I think it's going to take time for us to understand what it is. It all really means, you know. Um, as we reflect back on it, maybe years from now, I don't know. But I think it's important that we act, that we respond in some way, whether it's to donate, participate, make art in this time. Um, I don't know what it, you know. Connect with those that that we haven't connected with in in, in a long time, um, and just simply sort of respond in some way. I think is I think is important. That's beautiful, and I'd like to throw this out not only for you patrick but also for casty maybe if each one of you could could um kind of reflect on this and my you know it's a question that that we've asked other conversation partners here you know we we sometimes ask especially people who've been working with issues of social justice or dismantling privilege or you know where their work is really you know calling us to look at you know the shadow side of our society of ourselves etc a question that I always like to pitch is, you know, where, where's your hope? So to, to bring that, you know, especially since, since this conversation is very much about the moment we find ourselves in, when we lift our finger off the pause button, what would you hope we might see? What would, what would be your vision for how we can step forward into the new future that is coming to us? So I think in times like this, and along with that, in projects like this, um, my hope is as we deepen our understanding of ourselves and the rootedness in who we are, that those roots ultimately dig down deep enough 
to show the interconnectivity of our lives to every single other life, including that of nature, including that of my fellow human. And in that hope, right, it's, it's the inescapable network of mutuality that Martin Luther King talks about. It's the, I mean, ultimately the beloved community. It's that we belong to each other. And I do worry that that goes away after a time like this, once the switch is flipped, right? I mean, it's, there's a deep sense of camaraderie right now that I've felt with other people, even just right walking on the street and you see someone go by, we're more prone to smile right now or to say hello. I worry about losing that. And that means a lot to me. And I know that that's something that I carry with me more deeply, the more that I center myself in the pause and center myself and who I am. And again, that those roots that, that go down into everyone else. So, yeah. So my hope is that we don't lose that, that I don't lose that, that we continue to see that, that connectivity. I think one thing that the great pause of the situation has given us is the permission to say no to things. And that's been really freeing, I think, for a lot of people. I think it's also laid bare the fact that a lot of the things that were driving our rhythms prior to this were perhaps unhealthy, but certainly driven by something other than our bodies, right? Um, driven by industry, by, by commerce, by the demands of the workplace. And I hope, I hope that when we emerge from this, that people will remember that there's a natural rhythm to which our bodies are perhaps even more accustomed to, that we kind of got a taste of during this time, that we can bring with us into um, the world as we reintegrate. I think there's also, I hope, more distance now uh, from the desire, the, the need to push these, I don't know, these, these narratives that are the abstractions, right? These constructs of culture, um, the economy, the, the cultural narrative surrounding us, um, the cultural identities that, that we spend so much time forming each day in the workplace and et cetera. Um, and I, and I hope that people will remember that in this sort of space that we find ourselves in now, we are being asked to reevaluate the things that, that matter to us, reevaluate who it is that we are without all those abstractions. And however scary that might be, and um, however um, uncomfortable that might be for some, it is authentic and it's real. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really nice word, I think, to use to describe this entire experience. I think we're all feeling something authentic during this time. We're navigating our days in a very authentic way, I think. We're relating to the people within our homes, uh, in our lives, in a much different way, in a much more meaningful way. And I hope we carry that with us uh, back into the world as we reintegrate and start the economy back up and whatnot. It's interesting, too, because I, I keep wanting to hold the balance of what's real. And as Cassidy said, like, there are a lot of us, including myself, that aren't always uh, approaching this very real. Like, you know, we we are using, uh, we're running away. 
You know, like we, you might drink a little too much. You might, uh, binge a little too much TV. You might, you know, I, we all have our little ways of avoiding, you know, and yet, and yet I think underneath we're catching ourselves doing that. We notice ourselves doing that. I think a little bit more. I, I, at least, at least I am, I know I say, Oh, look what I'm doing right now. This is, this is me running away. Like I catch myself. It, it's, it's there. Right. And put in, you know, right up into my face. You, you have to confront this, Kevin. You know, you have to look at this. Uh, this is this is a part of you that you're not looking at here, and I, you know, I recognize that that's hard. You know, that is very hard. It, I made a comment to someone the other day that I'm really, really trying to remember to be gentle with myself and with the world, because I, I, this is not the place for me to judge myself or anybody else. Because this, we, I might not be ready, and. My friends might not be ready and my family might not be ready and, my, and the people I see might not be ready to confront what is actually needs to be confronted. I might have been traumatized and now I don't have the resources to be able to respond. Uh, I might not have access. There might be, like you said, those abstractions, those voices, that, whether it's commerce, the economy, horrible laws, the unjust laws and stuff that have put me in place where I don't have the privilege of standing up and being able to be strong enough and to be okay that to fall apart. Um, and, and, and hoping, praying for all those people who can find support that they feel safe, you know, because we all need to find a safe space here. But I, I don't think what you said is wrong. I think you're absolutely right. I just want to hold and balance that. I think both is going on at the same, right at this moment. It's real. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I think a lot of us do have the instinct of of wanting to tune out, right? Yeah, um, I know I do. That's what happens with uh, any sort of experience of silence, right? For a lot of people, you step into that experience and it's so awkward and uncomfortable that you immediately want to find ways to um, flee from that 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 feeling, mm -hmm. flee from that sort of awkwardness. Um, I remember when I was in the anechoic chamber during the filming of In Pursuit of Silence, it was very much that for me as well. Like it, I heard my voice for the first time in a very different way, um, much louder than I had before. It was very disturbing. Um, and I found ways to tune it out for, for I was in the anechoic the chamber for a good 40 minutes. And I remember 30 minutes of that was just me trying to quiet the voice in my head, mm -hmm. quiet the sort of white noise that I just intuitively introduced into my being every second of the day, mm -hmm. um, the sort of inner chatter. And so, but I, I think what happens eventually is that falls away. I right. think eventually if you sit with it long enough, and I think we've all been quarantined just long enough, I think for the strategies to start to show themselves as um, simply strategies to avoid, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. Uh, that, are, that are insufficient um, at the end of the day. Yeah. And dealing with the sort of the quiet, the the uncertainty that we're dealing with at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're reminding me of Thomas Keating and some of the instructions for the centering prayer practice. And the idea that, you know, the reason why you commit to 20 to 30 minutes is so that you might have a minute or two where you're resting in silence. 
that if you take those first 18 to 25 or however many minutes, just to kind of detox. And that mm -hmm. happens every day. I mean, even if you've got a stable daily practice, you know, it's, it's so much a part of us to have that white noise, to have that internal Howard Cosell, that internal, <laughs> as Martin Laird says, the cocktail party. Right. Um, and that, you know, and we, and we never absolutely silence it. That would probably be impossible because it's part of being alive that the neurons are firing. But to, to just reach that, that place of kind of openness between the synapses firing and to, and to be able just to rest in that. So thank you, Patrick, to, to really see this, this whole moment as a pause. That's the word I'm really going to take away from this conversation. Yeah. Um, Macrina Wiedekir, I think she's a Benedictine nun. She wrote a book about the daily office and it's called Seven Sacred Pauses. And, and I love this idea that prayer is a pause, that contemplation is a pause. And that, you know, shelter at home is a pause. And, it, and we're being invited into it. Who's the author who wrote, um, darn it, I'm not going to remember, but he is a, he wrote religious texts. He's also a scholar and he, his definition of religion is interruption. Uh, Johann Baptiste Metz. Metz. That's it. Yeah. I couldn't remember it. Interruption. Since we brought up the name Thomas, I'm just going to throw in a little Thomas Merton. One thing that I'm thinking of is, yeah, we, we do need to get through that time to get to the pause, right? To get through the monkey mind, to get through all the, the mess that is in our heads, that is in our news feeds, that is in our lives. Um, and Merton addresses that as violence, right? That um, the Russian pressure of modern life uh, neutralizes our work for peace. And that goes for our inner peace too. And just, we live in this frenzy, this frenzy within our own brains, this frenzy in everyday life. And to succumb to that is to succumb to violence, is what Merton says. Mm. Um, and so I think that, yeah, just recognizing that the need to get to that place of pause is work for peace, is work for peace in ourselves and work for peace in the world. And that is just really important for me to, to, for me to remember that rest right now, that sacred pause right now is is doing something doing nothing is doing something right now yeah i was reading um the other day that i think I, th I think it's economists are mostly promoting this this term the great pause but they're referring to this moment in time as the great pause and but i think in more ways than just the economy obviously um and hopefully we'll look back upon this as on some level i mean as a crisis it very much is obviously and we we need to continue kind of thinking about it in those terms but i think for uh, the pause that has given us. I, I hope that we look back on it and find the sort of silver lining in it all and, again, can hold on to some of that. Um, I remember that there was a, I don't remember when this was, but uh, there was a massive blackout. I think it was in Brooklyn or maybe it was all throughout Manhattan a bunch of years ago, back in the 70s maybe, in the 80s, I'm not exactly sure. And it, uh, it, it forced people out into the streets um, to play with one another, to speak with one another, and created this crazy sense of community. Um, and now when people look back on it, I mean, then it was this crisis, right? No one had power. Their, their food and the refrigerators were getting spoiled. Like it was a real problem for everybody. Um, but now we look back on it and it's, it was this sort of beautiful communal uh, experience of relationship. 
but uh, anyway, yeah, hopefully we'll look back on it in, in similar fashion. We'll see. I think what's really important to consider at the moment is what happens when the, the, the finger is lifted off of that pause button, right? And all those advertising dollars are flooded back into the marketplace, trying to get us to buy things and, and return to those, the old rhythms. Um, what, what, what are the things that we can do to, I don't know, what can we arm ourselves with and how can we defend ourselves from the onslaught that we're inevitably about to experience once we, once, uh, we reemerge from this? I don't know. It's just a question I'm throwing out there. That's something I've been thinking a lot about. I don't, um, I think it's important that we consider it. Again, I don't know what the answer is. Did you see that very popular, it went viral, uh, a brand new author on Medium just wrote something and it went absolutely crazy. And it, it's asking that very question, something about, are we prepared for the gaslighting that's going to come? And it was this, it's the exact moment, what you're saying is like, there is going to be like 10 hundred ba- bajillion dollars that's going to be thrown into advertising to make us go back to consumerism and to ignore the injustices that have been you know, that have been revealed, to, to ignore the fact that there is we need to fix healthcare, to fix that that uh, minority um, people of color, et cetera, are being targeted by this disease because of the situation of the unjust systems in place. And he and he kind of wrote this basic. Hey everybody! I'm gonna mention it now, bef- so that you can be aware. We're going to be lied to. We're gonna be told that everything's cool. Let's go back to business as usual, and let's not mit- let this happen. And so your comment kind of reminds me of that. I saw that shared everywhere, like overnight. That person—it was not even a writer. I don't think. I think it was somebody who was writing a little bit and maybe had a job or freelancing, but all of a sudden, think- platform exploded. Yeah, I, I read the same thing a few days ago. Gambuto, I yeah. think is his name, Julio Gambuto, um, who happens to be a filmmaker. I'm not oh, sure with his work, but uh, he's a he's a writer, director, filmmaker. Oh, well, there you go. That's awesome. I'll have to dig in dig into that a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I read the same thing, and it was it was terrifying to think of the onslaught that we're about to experience. The violence, yeah. like Cassidy violence. said, yeah, the the exactly. Thomas Merton, the violence that's going to be pushed on us, basically. Well, I just want to say to both you, Cassidy and Patrick, thank you for your act of generosity to make the film available. You know, that is a gift. Thank you so much. And then the parallel gift of making Notes on Silence, the companion book, available, the the Kindle version at at a very minimal cost. The the film and the companion book are, are such... Um, wonderful resources and works of art. So I'm happy to to help get the word out. Absolutely. So thank you both. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much. It's always a joy, Patrick. I, I love your work. I love everything you do and the heart you bring to your projects. And so it's just a pleasure to have you back. No, you guys are fantastic. Uh, the, the, the podcast has been excellent um, and hugely inspiring uh, when I get a chance to catch up listening to the, the, the episodes or just every single time they're fantastic. So thank you guys for doing this and thanks for making the time for, for our little film. We are encountering silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. 
To learn more about me, please visit kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. Find out about my work at carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world. Thank you.